This mic on now, I see it's on. Well, happy Sabbath everybody. It's nice seeing everybody on this beautiful Sabbath. And man, is it beautiful outside. So thanks for coming because it would have been a good tempting day to spend time in nature. So if you don't mind, I'd like to have just a little quick prayer before I begin. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you uh, that be in your house on your holy Sabbath, Lord, before your people, presenting the truths of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the truths that you have given us. May, your, may there be no sins in our life, Lord. We, if there is, Lord, we ask that you would forgive them. Let there be nothing that would hinder your Holy Spirit from being here amongst your people, and especially being with me, Lord, as I present your message, because truly nothing I present here comes from me. It's just from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So, And I just thank you for this privilege, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's October. It's hard to believe this year just flew by, you know. But October is a very special day, as you know, for Seventh-day Adventists. Because on October 22nd, 1844, a very, very special event took place. As you know, that in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus went from the holy place to the most holy place, signifying the investigated judgment, meaning that the judgment of every of, of every um, person on the earth is being decided for eternal salvation or eternal loss. And so it's a very solemn event. And there's also something that's very solemn about what goes on in, in the heavenly sanctuary is that there will be a day that when Jesus will stop interceding between the sinner and and man and woman and the, and boys on that day when the when the investigative judgment is completely over and done Jesus will take off his priestly garment and put on his kingly garment and then he will come back to earth and that will be the second coming but when the, Jesus stops the intercession in heaven we're told there's a space or a period of time and that time if you sin there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that Jesus can do for you. There is no intercession between Him and the Father. And uh, I'm sure you've heard that. I want to read a statement here in A Great Controversy, page 425. Those who are living upon the earth, when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above, are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless, their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling through the grace of God and through their own diligent effort. They must be conquerors in the battle with evil or sin. And while the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven as it is right now, while the, uh, the belief, I'm sorry, in heaven, while the sins of penitent Believers are being removed from the sanctuary. Listen up. There is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin amongst God's people on the earth. So sin is a very, very serious thing. And and I almost feel bad sometimes. Like I just come up here, I seem like I, I hound and hound and hound about sin. But I do really believe it's one of the most important things as God's people that we need to get out of our lives. And in the day of Yom Kippur, in the day of judgment, the people knew that they had to get sin out of their lives or they were cast outside of the camp, which signifies they were eternally lost. 
And as you know, in 1844, God raised up a church, a people, to present this very message to the world. It's part of the three angels' message. And I'm not going to read all of the three angels' message, but I'm going to read this one. It's found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. You're all very familiar with it. And I saw another angel, one of the three, fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people. Does that include everybody? That's the whole earth. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. That is one of the angels, one of the messages that God raises church up to give, not to just ourselves, but to the entire world. We're to teach them about the sanctuary. We're to let them know that the day of judgment is come. And that they need to get sin and purify their lives. They need to get sin out of their lives. Because when Jesus comes, if there's still sin on you, you're lost. Amen? So this morning I want to talk about this topic of sin because I really get, believe, again, it is one of the most important topics that we can preach as a people or talk about or study about as a people. We need to learn and understand how to get sin out of our life. So this morning I just decided that I would, although I'm talking about a topic a little bit that I've talked about before as far as our thoughts and our thinking, we need to utilize the tools in which God has given us to give us victory over sin. So we're going to talk about this morning what faith is, what it really is. We're going to talk about the will of man, what it is and its importance. And then we're going to look at the, how we use both of those two tools to deal with our thoughts. Now I know that many of us know a lot about faith and we've heard faith over and over again. Unfortunately, most Christians in this world believe that faith is nothing more than just a belief in Jesus Christ. I know that you know that. Do you have faith? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they will even tell you that, you know, as far as salvation goes, that all you have to do is just believe in Jesus and you're saved. That's it. But it's amazing that when you study the Bible, the Bible says something else. It says something completely different. It says that, Faith and works go together. And of course, you know the, in the evangelical world, they say, oh no, works has nothing to do with the plan of salvation. Has nothing to do. And in fact, if you even try to have good works or good actions in your life, you're just trying to earn your way to salvation. Well, let me make something really clear. We as Adventist people have understood from its very beginning... It's found in John chapter 15, verse 12, which you're very familiar. Jesus tells us and tells His people that without me, you can do how much? Nothing. And that has been our teaching from the very beginning. However, I'm going to show you, and it's also true biblically, that although you can do nothing without Jesus, I'm going to show you that Jesus will do nothing for you unless you exercise Faith in Him. The Apostle Paul, or Apostle James, makes it very clear biblically that faith and actions or works, I will use the word actions a lot of times in the place of works because it's more of a common word that we use, actions, things that we do instead of the word works. But James makes it clear that faith and works go together. 
And again, I'm going to read something that I know that you're very familiar with, but I'm going to show you something a little deeper about faith today that you may not be aware of. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he had faith and have not works? Can faith save him alone? So here Paul, or James, is separating the two. He's saying, listen, can faith save you alone apart from works? And he goes on to tell a little story. Now listen, James says, if a brother be, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give not those things which are needful for the body, what is a prophet? Even so, if faith has not works or action, it is dead being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And James says, I will show you my faith with my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So just believing in God is not faith at all. The devil believes in God, but he's not saved. Okay? So just saying I believe in God is not enough for salvation. But wilt thou know, O vain man, in verse 20, that faith without works or action is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works and when, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest then thou how faith was manifested by his works or his actions? And his faith was made perfect. He perfectly demonstrated what true faith is and he demonstrated it by his actions. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God. How do you know that Abraham believed God? Because he demonstrated it in actions. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit translated breath is dead, so faith without works or action is dead being alone. So there's no question about it that faith and your works or your actions based on you, do you really believe in God? If you really believe in God, that you will have works or actions, you will see it demonstrated in your life. Amen? So or I like to say, if you have faith, then you must have faith in action because they go together. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we're told something else very interesting about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Again, these are texts you're all very familiar with. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. I love this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this means that God isn't going to do something for you first in order for you to have faith. You must demonstrate your faith and actions before God is going to do something for you. Amen? Amen? So, I find that in faith, I find that there are three components in faith in every faith story in the Bible. One of the components of faith is that you must believe that God can do whatever it is you are hoping for. So there is a belief in God that He can do something and that you are hoping for, and then it must be demonstrated that your belief in what you're hoping for must have actions or it's not faith. And you will find that this is true in every story in the Bible. You must believe, 
You must have something that you're hoping for, and then you must demonstrate that belief in your actions, or what you're hoping for. And to show you this, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, I'm going to show you just one of the many faith stories. Matthew chapter 9, and verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. So what kind of men were following Jesus? Two what? Blind men. What were they hoping for? They were hoping that they could see again, right? So there's the hope aspect of faith. And then he, Jesus, came into the house and the blind men came to him. There's the demonstration of actions. There was something they hoped for, they wanted to see, and therefore they put something that they hoped for, and obviously they must believe that Jesus could do this, or why even go to Him, right? So they believed in Jesus, they hoped to see again, and they demonstrated their belief and hope in actions by going to Jesus. And it says, and the Bible says this, And when He, Jesus, had come in the house, the blind men came to Him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he touched her eyes according to your faith, be it unto you. And her eyes were open. So again, you can see that the three components of faith. You must believe that God can do something. There must be something that you're hoping for. And then you must demonstrate what you're hoping for and believe in your actions. Or it's not faith. You will find that in a story of faith when God told Israel to march around the walls of Jericho. Their hope was the walls would come down and they would siege it. They also had to believe that God would do it and they demonstrated their actions by doing what God said. You can find it in the story of the woman who had an issue of blood. What did she want? She wanted to be cured from the issue of blood. What did she do? She believed that Jesus could do that for her. And she demonstrated in actions by going to Jesus and by just touching the hem of his garment. And Jesus healed her according to her faith. And you even find this story, it might seem silly, but it isn't silly when you study it. Even in the story of Abraham, because we're given in the Bible the story of Abraham and how he showed a faith that was perfect. And even in the story of Abraham, you find these three components of faith. And just to read this a little bit, James chapter 2 and verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works, this is actions, when he had offered Isaac upon his son upon the altar? There is the action. See thou how faith wrought was manifested by his works or actions, and by his works was his faith made perfect? And the scripture was was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Alright, so I, we can clearly see from that scripture text that Abraham demonstrated his faith in actions. And he also believed. But what was missing? What was missing? The three components. He believed, he demonstrated actions, what was missing? Something that he was hoping for, Right? Would you believe that Abraham, the Bible does teach that Jesus, or that Abraham actually was hoping for something. And you can just imagine that if God had asked you to take your son and daughter and go to the top of the mountain and to sacrifice your son or daughter, what would have been your hope? That God wouldn't really ask you to go through with that, right? That also was Abraham's hope, and I'm going to show you that. 
In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, when Abraham left his family, he took some men with him, some donkeys, and they had wood, and he had fire, and of course Isaac was with them. And as they journeyed to the mountain, before he came to the mountain, he told the men this. He says, listen, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Now, Abraham wasn't just saying that. He really believed that was his hope, that God really wasn't going to make him go through with it, and that he and Isaac would come back to him. It wasn't a trick. And again, we're told in Genesis 22 and verse 8, even Isaac asked Abraham, he said, listen, Father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And this is what Abraham told his son. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So again, twice, Abraham demonstrated his hope. And of course, you know the story. When he was up on the mountain and he laid Isaac on the altar and he bound him hand and foot and he raised the knife, the angel asked, stayed the knife and told Abraham, don't harm thy son. And what did Abraham see? A lamb caught in the thickest. Did God provide a, a sacrifice? Did Abraham return to the men with his son as he said? You see, by because of Abraham's faith, God granted his hope. Although it wasn't God's plan ever to have him go through with it. But nonetheless, you see that even the three components of faith in that story. And it's amazing that when you study the faith subject in the Bible, that you find that it doesn't even take, God doesn't demand a lot of belief on the part of his children. He doesn't expect a lot of actions on your part. Amen? In fact, we're told in Matthew 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith as a, as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Do you believe that? So with faith, we can move mountains. And with faith, we can move sin out of our life. Now I want to go into the will. The will of man. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us about the will. The will is the governing power in the nature of man. Bringing all the other faculties under its sway. It's the deciding power which works in the children of men unto obedience or unto disobedience. The will is the power of decision or of choice. The will is what you use to whether you choose to sin or choose not to sin. To be obedient, to be disobedient. In fact, all of you exercise your will today and come into church today, and that's why you're here. If you chose not to come here, as I can see some chose not to, they're not here. So the will isn't that very hard to understand. It's something that we have that God has given us. It is all for all of us to use. But one of the things I like, what I just read in the Spirit of Prophecy, that your will is so powerful that it can bring all the other faculties under its way. Now, what are the faculties? The faculties are these. Your eyes are a faculty. You choose what you will see. Amen? You're in control of that. God won't control that for you. That's for you to decide. 
Your ears are a faculty. You decide what you will listen to or not listen to. And I'm glad you're here today listening to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Your touch is also a faculty. You decide the things that you will touch and handle and the things you won't touch and handle. Your taste is also a faculty. You decide what you will put in your mouth and what you won't put in your mouth. Even your thoughts are a faculty. You decide what you will allow your mind to think of and what you won't allow your mind to think of. Now here's what's interesting. What really makes your will your will is that God has given it to you and it's free. It's free for you to choose what to do. Satan himself can't even force the will. And I'll show you a text on that. I want to read something I read a long time ago here. I don't know if you'll remember it. But I have a book called Healing a Broken Brain. It was written by an Adventist psychologist. It's a good read. You can get it through your ABC online, I guess. I'm not sure we even have any more. I think there's still one in Washington, D.C. But in this book, Dr. Elder Chalmers, a Seventh-day Adventist psychologist, and I love what he wrote in this book. He said, My wife and I will long remember our visit with Dr. Wilder Penfield. We spent about six and one and a half hours with him. He described some of his experiences in probing the exposed brain of a conscious person under surgery with epileptic seizures. As we would touch the surface of his temporal cortex, that's this part, with a gentle electric current, his patient would relate an experience of many years before. The patient would be reliving the experience all over again. He would see the people, the street corners, the barn. He would hear the sounds and the music and the conversations that all took place years before. It was all there permanently recorded in the brain, ready for playback by the touch of a gentle electric probe. And then Dr. Penfield said these things. He said, these studies have shown that everything... I'm lost myself hanging one second. Has shown that everything that we pay attention to has been permanently recorded in the brain. And then he talked about the will. He told us that even while he was probing with a gentle electric current, he could engage the patient in conversation, and the patient could, by the act of his will, shut off the effects of the stimulation, not hear or see the playback, and attend to what the doctor was saying. And then Dr. Penfield said this, The will of man is free. It uses the pathways of the brain, but is not controlled by them. The will is free. So did you catch that? You can control even your thoughts. If your if your mind is going off on some thoughts, you can stop it by the exercise of your will. So therefore, Satan can't force you to sin unless you surrender your will to him. When you sin, therefore, because your will is free and it's what you decide to do, then it's your choice. Amen? So, with that in mind, I'd like to talk about our thoughts. Why are, why do I want to talk about our thoughts in relation to sin? Because all sin, 
all sin comes to your mind in the form of a thought first. In fact, the Bible says that out of the heart of man proceed murders and adulteries and covetousness. And we know that in biblically the heart represents the mind. So if we can utilize what faith is and how powerful it is, it's not something we do. It's something that we believe in God that He can do for us. But we have to believe it that He can do it. And then we have to um, demonstrate it in actions by doing what He says. So what I'm proposing to you today that if we exercise our willpower by choosing not to sin through faith, you can get total victory over sin. Therefore, you must choose to stop sinning. And we then we must exercise faith to stop sinning. And faith must have all three components of faith in order to be faith. And you don't have to have those three components in any order, but you must have all three of them. And you'll find that when you study the subject of faith in many stories in the Bible. And then we must believe that God can give us a victory, and then we must demonstrate that belief in hope. But what kind of hope do we have with, with getting the victory over sin? Well, our hope is that we get the victory over sin, right? That has to be your hope. If it's not your hope, God can't do anything for you. If you don't believe that God can give you victory, then you're not going to get the victory. The spirit of prophecy in the Bible tells us this. The subject is very biblical. If I was to pull just the text out on the Bible, you'd be amazed how much the Bible has to say on your thoughts, and on your thinking, and your imagination. But here's one that we're told in 1 Peter 1 and 13, mixed with the spirit of prophecy, Paul tells us this. Listen, brethren, gird up the loins of your mind, says the apostle, then control your thoughts, not allowing them to have full scope. The thoughts may be guarded and controlled by your own determined effort. Think right thoughts and you will perform right actions. Amen? Adventist Home, page 54. You see, brother, in the battle on this earth with sin, don't forget the time that we're living in. We're living in a time of investigated judgment. We gotta get sin out of our life, or there's no, there's no heaven for you. God is not gonna take a practicing sinner to heaven with them. We're on probation here, and we're to cooperate with God in the plan of salvation to get sin out. And that's what I'm trying to help us See that to this day. So, the battle happens in the mind. And it happens with your thoughts. And you must fight what your thoughts with your willpower, and you must fight it through faith. We're also told in First Mind, Character, and Personality, page 236, that an impure suggestion or thought must be dismissed at once. If you trifle with sin in your mind and you let it play over and over and over again, the next thing, not only have you already committed sin in God's Word, I've already done a sermon on that, but you're now going to, you'll probably most likely um, produce or do the fruits of that sin in action. We're told this in Councils of Health, page 79. The power of the will... 
can resist impressions or thoughts of the mind. Amen? So you can battle a sinful thought with just by exercising your will. We're also told in um, Councils of Health, page 96, the will is... Oh, I'm sorry, I already used that one. <laughs> I can't use that one again. Appeal to mothers. We're told this. And it's very important that we get this. You know, the, the spirit of prophecy in the Bible is God's way of communicating with us. Okay? He is speaking to us through His Word and through the prophets to help us take us to heaven. And we're told in Appeal to Mothers, page 29, the first work for those who would reform is to purify the imagination. If the mind is led out in a vicious direction, it must be restrained to dwell only upon pure and elevating subjects. We need to understand that Christ is ready to set us free from sin, but He does not force the will. And if you, by persistent transgression, and the will itself is wholly bent on sinning, and you do not desire to be set free from sin, we, if we will not accept His grace, what more can we do? We have destroyed ourselves by our own determined rejection of His love. And that is found in Steps to Christ, page 34. So what can I tell you? The warfare with sin goes on in the mind, and it's in the mind that we must battle for it. Against it. We're told, again, First Mind, Character, and Personality, page 235, that your mind must engage in the spiritual warfare. Every thought must be brought into captivity and to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Amen. It's very biblical. In Second Corinthians, starting on uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 4, we're told this, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strong strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you believe that God can do this? I hope so. You know that Satan knows this subject very well. He knows that if he, he gets your thoughts, he's got you. He knows that if he can get the thoughts of your children, he's got them. I want to read something to you. Again, it's Peel to Mothers, page 29. It is the special work of Satan in these last days. Are we living in the last days? No doubt. It is the special work of Satan in these last days to take possessions of the minds of the youth, of youth, to corrupt their thoughts and inflame their passions knowing that by thus doing, he, Satan, can lead them to moral pollution, and then all the noble faculties of the mind will become debased, and he can control them to suit his own purposes. All are free moral agents, and as such, they must bring their thoughts to run in the right channel. And we're told again and again, there are thoughts... And suggest, there are thoughts that are suggested and aroused by Satan, listen, that annoy even the best of men. That means we can engage in the warfare of our thoughts with the will and with faith. But we're told that even Satan can suggest an evil thought. Let me read this correctly. There are thoughts suggested and aroused by Satan that annoy even the best of men. But if they are not cherished, if they are repulsed as hateful, the soul is not contaminated. Amen? That's found in Review and Herald, March 27, 1888. 
We're told if Satan seeks to divert the mind from sin to low or sensual things, bring it back again and place it on internal things. And when the Lord sees the determined effort, that is your actions, when you engage in a battle, and when Satan seeks to divert, divert the mind to sin or to low and sensual things, we are told to bring it back again and to place it on eternal things. And when the Lord sees the determined efforts, actions, made to retain only pure thoughts, He will attract the mind like a magnet and purify the thoughts, enable them to cleanse themselves from every secret sin, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Amen. Appeal to Mothers, again, page 29. There is a earnest work, brothers and sisters, for us to deal in the battle with our thoughts. We're told there is an earnest work before each one of us. Right thoughts, pure and holy purposes do not come to us naturally, do they? They don't come to us naturally. We shall have to strive for them. That's where the battle comes in. Now I love this. I love this part. We need a constant sense of the nobling power of pure thoughts. The only security for any soul is right thinking. That which at first, pay attention, that which at first seems difficult, by constant repetition grows easy until right thoughts and actions become habitual. Amen? That's found in Christian Health, page 295. I can tell you this. In my Christian walk, in my Christian experience, you've known me. I've been in this church for 30 years. You know this subject of sin and how to be saved has been a big part of many, many of my messages over the years. Amen? Can you testify that? I will tell you, there is hands down, I struggled with things in my life just like many of you are struggling now. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I arrived. I can't believe I'll ever be able to say that. But I can say that I have put into practice what God's Word has told us to do. I exercise my will in choosing not to sin. And I exercise my faith believing that Jesus can give me the victory. I believe that He can do it. My hope is that I will not sin anymore. And I demonstrate it by putting forth it in actions by doing what God said. By following what we've read. And I can tell you, hands down, sins that I weren't sure I'd ever get the victory over are gone. And, and I will say that this is perfectly stated. That in the beginning, it was rough. Because Satan saw, uh-oh, this guy, he's, he's battling it. He's battling. He's not just kicking back and doing nothing. He's battling. He's engaging in the warfare. So there was a struggle. But when I did what God said... It ended. The warfare was over, and God gave me the victory every time. And I will say that by through repetition of this, that I will, it is definitely is, it becomes habitual. Things that I struggle with are, are like gone. And once in a while, if they even slightly stick their head up in a thought of my head, I do exactly what God says and I reject the thought. And sometimes I've even had to say in the car out loud, no, I will not think of this thought. And the thought disappears. Now I'm going to share something with you. I find it really fascinating. You all know Brother Joe Cruz, right? 
He was the founder of Amazing Facts. And you know Brother Cruz passed away sadly in 1994. And in this book is one of his, probably his, one of his last messages, because this was copyrighted in 1994, the same year that he passed away. Now I had already learned this, okay? But I did read this book a long time ago. In fact, I bought this at the Adventist Book Center, which you know has been closed for many years. It was published in 1994, and I bought this for 75 cents. So that was a long time ago. This is a book to Joe Cruz, The Power of a Positive No. And I found this book, and I started reading it, and it was amazing. It was like, wow, Joe Cruz has learned what it's taken me nearly almost 30 years to learn. Joe Cruz knew this. And although he didn't talk about faith as much, but he did talk about the power of will and the power it has to do with your will and how you can control your thoughts through the power of will and through Christ. And it's a little book called The Power of a Positive No. It's a good little book. Well worth getting. Well worth getting. The point is this. That even Joe Cruz learned this message. And we must learn this message. And I believe in the last days here, there are basically three types of Christian. There are three types of Adventists in the church today. There are some that don't believe that they can ever get victory over sin. They don't believe it. And therefore... They never will. Because they never surrender their will to it. On the other hand, there's a large, large, larger group. There are those who believe that they can get victory over this sin and can quote the scriptures proving it. They even believe that God will someday give them the victory. But the problem is, and they even hope, again, they even hope to, but they never put forth an active, any action in the warfare against the thoughts. In the end, they're in the same condition as those who don't believe they can get victory over sin at all. Do you see that? We have to put all, we have to exercise our wills. We must choose that we're not going to sin because God has made it clear. You, It must be separated from you in these dead times of judgment. We don't know when our name's going to come up. But when it comes up and Jesus moves on, it's final wherever you're at. Yeah, He still intercedes for you for now. If you pass away, it's definitely over. The Bible makes it clear. Next comes the judgment. The final decision. Alright? It's in very important times that we're living in. We don't know when Jesus is going to take off His priestly garments and put on His kingly garments and come back to earth and take those who are truly repentant, those who exercised their will and made a, a strong decision and not sinning, and they demonstrated it through faith. They believed it. It has been their hope. And they put their, and they showed their belief and their hope in actions by engaging in the warfare. Amen? That is where we need to be. The Bible makes it clear in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's where you're at. If you think of adulterer thoughts, you're an adulterer. If you think of murder, you're a murderer. If you think of covetousness, you're a covetous person. In closing, I'd like to just read this text. In Philippians 4, verse 8. And if you don't mind, I'd like to have a little prayer with you. And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, 
whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So that means when you go home, you can't go home and turn on the TV and let your eyes and ears take in corruption and hope to have pure thoughts. You can't go home and eat a diet that's so far off God's plan and think that you can have pure thoughts because your diet has a lot to do with how you think, believe it or not. So we got to pay attention to what we see and what we allow our minds to hear if you want to have your mind um, untainted. And I really, again, all I can detest is, so my testimony to you is that this works, okay? This works. And if some of you have are already there, you know it works too. So with that, shall we uh, maybe kneel and have a, a prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, we know that you're in the most holy. We know that the investigated judgment is going forward. And I know that it is your, it is your desire <clears throat> that this message, which is only found in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, sinks into your people's heads. And that we put forth faith and exercise our will towards what you have instructed us to do so that you can do a mighty work in us. I pray that I pray that we, we give some thought to the, your message today, Lord. And that our desires are not so focused on this earthly world, but our focus is in heaven. We need you. We love you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood. And thank you for giving us this truth and for this church and for all the truths that we have. Let us not take it for granted, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And to Jesus Christ, who is able to do above and beyond anything that we can even think. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.